What's up, everybody? This is Ryan Staley, and you are listening to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom Podcast, where we share with you the underground ninja skills and tactics the top sales and marketing leaders are using to create financial and lifestyle freedom. And the question that everybody is asking is, how do I create financial and lifestyle freedom for me? That is the question, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Sales and Marketing Built Freedom show. I have a very special guest with me on today. I have Peck Ponpat, who is the founder of Impeccable. It has an amazing history that I'm really excited to share with you today. He started off doing motion martial arts for Mortal Kombat, then became a VP of product, and then took went from freelancer to founder on his journey to a multi-million dollar company. Peck, welcome. Happy to have you on, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, man. So it's... Go ahead. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Oh, no. Just keep going. Yeah. So I met Peck actually through just kind of through our network, kind of through the podcast area. And once I learned his story, I thought it'd be really cool to share and for everyone to hear because of his bootstrap journey. So Peck, can you kind of walk through your journey, how you got to where you're at? Basically your superhero origin story so everybody knows that how this man myth and legend was created. <laughs> well, the uh, so just to set the story straight, the motion capture for work for Mortal Kombat never was a career path. It was definitely a, a passionate hobby that led to an opportunity to do work for the video game industry. But that was never something that I felt like I could make a living. I, you know, I'd be a, more of a starving artist. I've always had a career in tech. I was an engineer first. And then at some point, I became a designer, self-taught designer. And then in the third chapter of my career, I became an entrepreneur. Although I've always had dreams of becoming an entrepreneur even before that. Throughout my engineering and design career, I always had ideas in which I could execute, would execute. I call them ideas. I call them projects because they were never really good business models. Uh, at the time, I lacked a lot of tools. Uh, I didn't have sales skills, marketing skills. Uh, but through my journey of entrepreneurship and bootstrapping my own company to a seven-figure business, it's now a 10-year-old company, picked up a, a few skills. I'm, I would say I'm an okay salesperson now. Just to kind of set the stage, I've closed over $17 million in business throughout my career. And yeah, we're a three-time Inc. 5000 company, and we typically enter serve the enterprise in, in our software development, software design uh, agency. I could tell you more about that. Yeah, well, and so I could add color because, like, obviously the Inc. 5000 fastest growing three times in a row. I think that's super impressive, man. So hats off to you for doing that. Also being bootstrapped, it's a lot harder to, in my opinion, sometimes if you don't have the right setup to bootstrap. But I think it's a better way to go. You know, I'm a little biased because that's the route I'm going, right? But is it okay if I, I drop a few of the customers you've worked with? Is that okay if we say them online? Of course, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, here's what blow, blows me away. You know, you've done work for Apple. You've done work for Google, Adobe, Twilio. I mean, some of the biggest companies in the world have leveraged your services. So I want to go deeper on that. Like, how did you, as being a bootstrap startup, get some of the biggest companies in the world, right? Apple's at what, $2 trillion valuation? Or is it $3 trillion now? Like some ridiculous amount. So let's let's talk about that. How did you get into those monsters? How did you make that happen? And how did that reality kind of take place? 
Well, like everything, it's gradual, right? Nothing happens overnight. Nothing. You don't land those customers that the moment you plant a fell egg and say, hey, I'm going to open a company, uh, start selling my wares, selling my services. You don't immediately get those companies. You work your way up to that. You know, you step stone up to that. In the beginning, when I, and the other thing too is when I moved, uh, I'm from Chicago, just like you. But when I had the impulse, I wasn't getting any younger at the time. I was a VP of product at a funded company here in Chicago. But after a year of that, I realized that really I didn't want to be a VP at somebody else's company. I, I wanted to start my own company and I wasn't getting, getting any younger. And I had a friend, a good friend in the Bay Area who was kind of waiting on the sidelines to, for me to come join him to start a company together. So that's what I did. I, I quit my job cold turkey and, and left the comfort of Chicago, which is home for me, and drove halfway, uh, no, across the U.S. To, to meet with his co-founder. And we tried a couple of ideas. I would say, again, you know, well, both of us were, were really technical people. He was an engineer. I was a designer, ex-engineer, and neither of us had sales and marketing skills. So you can guess where that went. Uh, we tried a couple, building a couple products, but uh, we, we both sucked at sales. We both sucked at marketing. So we couldn't get the word out for our product because we didn't have the necessary skills or the, the connections. So needless to say, that, that failed. And I had to make some money, right? My, my bank account was, you know, after trying a few bootstrapped ideas for almost a year, my uh, bank account was running low and my wallet was getting a little lighter. So I had to do something. So I said, you know, I just raised my hand like, look, I'm available for work. Pretty good at, um, turns out I'm pretty decent at product design. So my skills were very much in need very quickly. And I remember that at some point I had three clients and they all wanted 40 hours out of me. And I was working a lot of hours for three months. And I said, you know, if I keep doing this. I was, I was making bank as an hourly freelancer, but at some point I said, if something doesn't change, I'll just keel over and die. <laughs> I quickly hired a, an intern designer who would help me and relieve me. I would uh, guide them and mentor them. And that worked out really well. So we, you know, what, what started out as a freelance business quickly became a tiny little agency. We finished the first year freelancing with two full-time designers. So, so one, one part-time freelancer is like, oh, that, that worked out really well. And uh, instead of you know, work just demand just kept growing. So I didn't want to stop, I guess. And I just hired two more people and the business organically grew. But we, we started out, you know, be, to, to your point, we didn't have uh, large customers in the beginning. Uh, we, we had mostly startups. Uh, we, we got our first break with a, a large brand or logo is LegalZoom. And that was because we worked for a startup, which then got acquired to LegalZoom. So in actuality, the relationship, working relationship never changed. I still work with the same founder, still designing the same product, uh, but the, the, the people cutting the checks were now different. Uh, so, so I basically got, leak, you know, air quotes, LegalZoom as a, as a client because they acquired that company and, and that became a LegalZoom product. Uh, so that, that, that was a, a, you know, nothing in due to my part at all in terms of getting a big client logo. That's awesome, man. And then you just stacked on there, I assume, from, you know, once you had one, then you just kept adding more and more, and then it just kind of became a snowball running downhill after a while. Right, right. And actually, you know, when I, as I mentioned, I moved back, I moved to the Bay Area, but all of my contacts were in Chicago. One of my first freelance clients was actually working remotely for Groupon, Groupon being a Chicago company. You know, when people are first starting out, right, who, uh, it's hard to trust is, what is a brand, right? Brand is, 
someone you trust, you know, a service, a product, a company that you trust. And, uh, you know, people in the Bay Area didn't really know me yet, so there, there was no trust established there. But uh, the folks uh, in the technical social circles that I was in in Chicago uh, knew me to be a decent designer, and, and somebody at, at Groupon hired, hired me to, to do some work, or, or our agency to do some work. So in, in the beginning, I still had some clients in Chicago where there was high trust for, for who I am and, and me and, and my capabilities. So so we get, had some, some logos. Uh, Motorola, again, also a Chicago company, was one of our early big brand clients, I would say. So, so you know, if you look at that, it's like, well, I didn't really... I, even though I transplanted the all the the trust variables and the trust factors were still in Chicago, so so some of the work was coming from Chicago. And uh, I think once you get enough logos, right, you got LegalZoom, Motorola, uh, Groupon. They're like, oh, okay, you, you you guys do some good work for big brands through legit. And then so that way I was able to kind of step step stone up the ladder and and get more companies uh, in the Bay Area. Okay, and we're gonna come back to this, but there's a, there's a couple things I don't want to skip over. So. I love the fact that you're like, I'm a VP at a, at a company and I don't want to be the vice president at somebody else's company. I want to do my own thing. Um, I don't think I ever told you this, but that's kind of where I was at, man. Same thing. I'm like, I'm tired of doing this for someone else and having them ride me into the ground uh, for their dream. You know, I want to follow my own dream. Right. And so I think that's very admirable that you took the step uh, and went almost sounds like cold. Right. And, and tried it and. Uh, worked your way through a couple failures. So props to you, man, on that. And then second, did I hear you say you said three clients wanted you working 40 hours a week? Was that right? You were working 120 hours a week? Yeah, easily 80 to 120 hours a week. I probably wasn't working, you know, up to, they wanted me up to 40 hours as much as they could have me. But, you know, maybe as much as I could give them was maybe 30 hours a week. I was still making I don't know. I don't think 80, 90 hour work weeks are, are that long, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe from my, I also had experience, uh, I'll date myself, but the early, doc, the first wave of dot com days where startups were working like mad. So I, I graduated my computer engineering degree at the height of the first dot com boom. And even in Chicago, there were plenty of startups. And I remember some of the early, my early memories of being an early engineer were working or startups where some of my friends would sleep underneath the desk. I would sleep on the couch. We'd work seven days a week, really long days, Monday, Saturday. And then Sunday was a regular day of eight hours. But Monday through Saturday was like I don't know, 16 hour days. And we did that during the dot-com days. You know? So that was my trial by fire. <laughs> but everything was new and everything was exciting then, right? Like at the time... Companies like Hotmail and PayPal and Google, Yahoo, they were all brand new and things were happening and the internet was just, just being born. And it was just so exciting. It was just an exciting time. So we were just going along with that. Riding the wave. Yeah. I mean, so, and I, I don't really like talk to a lot of founders about this, but since we're on the topic, I would love to go there is, you know, now that you're on the other side of that, right. And like, you just took time off, right. You just took a sabbatical for three months and now that you've, you've been in your business a while, you know, now that you're, I guess, on the other side of that, what, what would you recommend to founders that are trying to go from zero to one or one plus that are, are still, uh, shall we say, in the shit sandwich phase where they're, they're, they're having to put tons of hours in? I mean, any advice you would give them? 
Yeah. Well, it's hard to... I don't know if I would have changed anything, right, in the past, but I, I do know that once you get to a certain point and you can breathe a little bit, you, you should step on the gas because it is a marath marathon, not a sprint. And by definition, you can't run one, you know, 30 miles, 40 miles an hour on a marathon all the time because you're going to burn yourself out. So you have to pace yourself. Uh, and in the early days when you don't have a lot of resources, all you have is time and hustle. Maybe that's when you have to. But if that's, you know, if you're 10 years in and still doing that, maybe there's something wrong there. And, uh, you know, that's time. I think when you see yourself doing something for too long, I think it all starts with awareness. When you have resources, you still find yourself going back to doing the stuff. Like maybe you don't have to do it anymore, right? When I have account managers, do I actually need to, the CEO's time is actually much more valuable doing high-level, long-term strategic work that will benefit company long-term, not taking care of one individual account or taking initial BD calls where there may not even be qualified leads. I was still doing that at, say, year eight, year nine, because that's what I did in the beginning, right? And I, I don't think I ever stopped to pause to think, should I be doing this? Am I serving the company best by doing this now? So I think having the awareness, kind of pause, taking a moment to pause and evaluate everything that you're doing. And is this the best use of your time? If pretend that you are an external person, right, and you hired this CEO to do a job, and you're paying them lots of money in the form of equity and or compensation, right, and you think, well, is this the best use of this person's time to be taking initial calls, right, to be working on this individual deck or, you know, to be managing this individual project uh, if you're paying the CEO, right, just because that person is you doesn't excuse how you should leverage them. That makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a great way. And I, I heard someone else mention very similar. It's it's along the lines of like, okay, if you, you know, first of all, who do you consider your hero? Let's say in the business world, right? And then if your hero was following you around, you know, someone you aspire to be like all day, what would they say about what you were doing and spending your time on, right? And so it goes along with the same thing. Like if you had an external consultant looking at you as an employee, are you effectively using your time? So I love that, man. Hello, and I appreciate you listening to the show today. I love my listeners, and I love helping my customers. One of the things that I've been able to do with some of the customers that I've been working with is, for example, a $6 million SaaS company, help them implement a seven-figure sales system in which they got a one-and-a-half-month ROI on the entire engagement fee that I offered them by one person spending 25% of their time. And this person wasn't even in sales. So these are core principles that help me scale from zero to $30 million in annual recurring revenue with only four people. In addition, another client that I'm working with was able to 10x their licensing fee, their SaaS licensing fee, and they are really, really just on the early side of starting. So if you're interested in learning more, apply through www dot scalerevenue.io forward slash apply www.scalerevenue.io forward slash apply look forward to seeing your application if you are interested and qualify you'll receive a follow-up note and we can jump on the phone and identify what the opportunity is exactly for you and your organization so let's shift gears a little bit how did you get wait apple or google as a customer because we, we went away from that. I want to go back to that. How did you get Apple or Google as a customer? Walk us through that process. Uh, some of our big customers, 
the technique is not to get it yourself. It's through an introduction. Actually, a lot of business, even today, is through word of mouth or introductions. It's people I know. My running joke is I actually don't know how to sell because I can only sell to people I know. So I can't sell to perfect strangers, right? Like, like businesses like McDonald's, Starbucks, whatever, they sell to perfect strangers uh, all the time. I, I actually don't know how to do that. I can't seem to sell to perfect strangers, but I can sell to people who know and trust me. How we got Google, I don't even remember so long ago, but Apple was through an introduction through, through Adobe. So we partnered, so just to maybe set the stage a bit, we, we got good at certain things. We got good at design. We got good at communications technologies. So we eventually became partners to companies, including Twilio and, and Adobe. So when, for example, how we got Nike was Nike had a problem there. They, they were using Twilio and they were having a problem with SMS and they were trying to achieve something. And they're like, you know, we, we have this problem. I need some help. And Twilio was like, oh, you, you've got to talk to Impeccable. They, they've been working Twilio for a long time. We trust them as a development partner, implementation partner. So we just got an introduction. So we got walked right through the door, sort of figuratively speaking, right? Imagine us being a small, tiny agency, right? Sub 40 people trying to pitch Nike on why we're qualified. It's like, oh man, it's be an uphill battle, right? When you have a, when you are deep enough, when you know something deep enough and you, you are trusted by that brand, in this case, Twilio, and they recommend you, that's worth its weight in gold because they just walk you right through the door. Instead of me pitching Nike, it's just straight to work. Okay, what do you need? You know, here's the problem, right? Instead of, oh, why should we work with you? That's awesome. I love that. Have you read the book, The Third Door at all? Have you ever read that book? By, I think it's Alex Banyan. So it's a story about how this student basically hacked his way, got into The Price is Right. I don't know if he, I think he got to the showcase showdown. So he like figured out their whole selection strategy, got on there. Use that as a launching point. And then what he made a determination that he's like, I'm going to interview the top people in the world on and, and write it in a book, right? And so he talks about this whole journey and a lot of it's what you're talking about through introductions and his like long story short, you know, the, the high level summary, I'm not going to ruin it for you. But I mean, he got interviews with like Bill Gates, Pitbull, a lot of the top I'm having brain fart in terms of who are some of the other people, but really impressive people that are, oh, Warren Buffett, you know, like hard people to get to, right? They're not just people you walk down and you're like, hey, let me talk to Bill. You know what I mean? And so long story short, he's like, it's kind of like a nightclub, right? You could be like everybody else that that stands in line and waits for three hours to get in and pays like a $50 cover charge. You could be VIP where you throw a lot of money to get access in, or you could take the third door which is like, you know someone, so they walk you through the kitchen, you get in for free, and you have the best accommodations, right? And so that's like his analogy that he uses. So it kind of reminds me of your story of how you got into Apple and Nike. Is like, hey, you knew someone, they just walked in, and they're like, all right, well, we already trust you because we trust so-and-so. So yeah, so I love that, man. So what would you say, Peck, is your ninja skill? Like if you, you had to break it down, something that founders or revenue leaders can learn from, what would you say is your ninja skill? Uh, well... Physically speaking, I have real ninja skills. That's why how I got the work to do the moves for the Mortal Kombat video game. So so many years ago, I was a you know maybe a real life ninja. My business ninja skill. Wait, can I stop you on that? Can I stop you on that? Sure. You're the first person out of like I think sixty that I've interviewed 
that ever literally said, okay, well, I technically have real life ninja skills. So I do have those. But when you talk about business, so I'm giving you props because you're literally the first real ninja I've interviewed on the show. So anyways, go ahead, Matt, and keep going on the business side. Well, here's a story of the third door that you'll like this because you talk about clubs. At some point, I, I also started teaching martial arts. And uh, a lot of the people who go to martial arts schools, uh, oftentimes they're they, they use them in their career. So let's say they're bouncers and stuff. So in this, you can see where this is going. But uh, I would go to clubs. I, I didn't like in Chicago, especially as I was teaching school, some of the students were, were bouncers. So I don't like going to clubs where I don't know the bouncer. Because then you're in line like everybody else versus, you know, you just walk up and the bouncer hugs you. You don't even need to tip them because you're their instructor. Right. And you get like, hey, Peck, you know, and they, they pay me respect and they walk me right right through. So quite, quite literally, you know, the, the bouncer analogy is, is what I had when I was doing martial arts. I guess my ninja skill would be that the one thing I tell everybody is it's relationships, relationships, relationships. And the mental image I have is, is Steve Ballmer. If you remember his developer, developer, developer speech, uh, I'm just like relationship. Everything I have is, is due to relationship. This podcast was, you know, you reaching out, us having a conversation, having a coffee meeting, uh, building a relationship, everything when, even when I get certain logos, uh, the reason we, we got Twilio as a client was the person that we worked with at Aruba Networks. We did a great, such a great job for them. We were, we were working for them. He moved to Twilio and he's like, oh, Peck and Impeccable do great work for me at my previous company. We're just dragging him along. And then through that, you know, I worked with another person and then that person went to Stripe. We did a great job at Twilio. So she dragged me along over to Stripe. So it's, it's just making sure that you keep good relationships wherever you go. And uh, this extends not just to clients, but also employees. I like to, uh, when, when people leave, uh, you know, I have the distinction. I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, we as a design agency produce very good designers. We had designers who, who started with us and then go off to companies like Slack or Facebook or Zoom, Samsung, Apple. And I, I kind of call them plants sometimes <laughs> because they have a good experience working here. And sometimes, you know, they when, when they're looking for an agency, these people have such a great experience working at Impeccable, they'll recommend Impeccable. And uh, there you go. Uh, so relationships, relationships, and, and on both sides, right? Clients, uh, the people that you work with. Uh, sometimes, you know, people, when when people leave, well, even, even me, I'll, I'll own, I used to be, I used to take it very personally when, when you know, because it's my company. So I took it very hard when people left. I thought it was because of me or they were unhappy with the company or something I did or my failure in leadership. Uh, but people have different life motivations. They have different life goals and maybe they have to have a change in life situation because their spouse, you know, something changed, right? And their life priorities change, right? So uh, now my attitude is, you know, you you have the people while you have them, and, and hopefully you have treat them so well that they they always think of you fondly, even after they leave, and uh, you can be a source of uh, recommendation. That's awesome, man. I love it, and yeah, I mean, I noticed. I don't think I've ever seen anybody that has as many personal recommendations as you do on LinkedIn, like. I'm just saying it's, you could tell you practice what you preach because like, I've never seen, I think it was like 70 plus recommendations from people, um, which I think is amazing. 
Um, and, and, you know, I guess to take it one level deeper, if you had to break it down, because a lot of people fall short or they don't know and they hear relationships in general, um, how do you get like, what's, do you have like a, a, a three or four step framework you use to keep active relationships with people or to build those deep relationships and leave that lasting impression? Or are there a few things that you focus on, like three or four things, just so that the listener, you, the listener can understand like where he's coming from and, and how you basically network into Apple and Google and Nike, you know, because I, I think there's something there that, that we're just on the surface of. Yeah, uh, there, there are some tactics. One, I, I've developed a decent habit of just checking into checking with people, checking in with people every so often. Uh, I actually don't even have software for that, but I'm actually evaluate in the process of evaluating some some reminder software. But you know, I kind of just do this mentally or and or on paper or, or just check my email like, oh, I haven't talked to this person in a while. But I, I generally in my mind, I'm always thinking, oh, who have I not talked to in a while? Let's check in on them. So that's that's one thing uh, is is just having loose connections, right? Lots of people, and there's no agenda. Lots of people contact whatever person because they need something, right? It's, it's like, oh, I want X from you. That's why I'm contacting you. Um, and that's not really a great basis of relationship if you're if you're on the receiving end. That this guy never calls me, but every time he calls me, he wants something from me, right? So. Uh, my my thing is just hey let's just do a catch up uh, how are you doing in life so I'm I'm I'd say I'm pretty decent at doing that uh, I'd like to be even better but through the use of software and reminders but uh, that's that's kind of what I do uh, another tactic is uh, I use LinkedIn is really good for this because LinkedIn tells you they even have a feed of when people change jobs well you know uh, if if uh, a person you know pretty well changes jobs and goes into a company that you might want to work for or is your perfect customer profile, to use your words, uh, that's a good um, time to check in with them. So I might send them a note. Everybody sends a can, congrats, you know, blah, 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 Ryan. You don't even type that, right? LinkedIn suggests that. That's super weak. So I usually type a custom message and I'll say something like, hey, congrats on the new job. I know you're going to be busy you know, just getting your bearings, let's cut, catch up in a month or so. And I send a calendar date, that's it. Um, but, you know, this this is a way to congratulate them. Uh, it also kind of gives them, like, if you hit them up when they change jobs, they don't even know what they're working on yet. So, you know, <laughs> it's not a very good time. But if you let them get their bearings and, you know, they have an assignment and, and they have some goals they have to hit, uh, that might be a good time to see if there's anything you can do to help. That's awesome. Yeah, and... I love that because you're you're basically. I mean, just to look at my notes. So you, you keep in touch. You have no expectations, and and then I like the fact they get a new job. You you just put a. I don't want to say put a bug in your. That sounds negative, but you you get back on their radar as well. Just saying like, hey, let's catch up in a month or so when you get your bearings. So I think that's a really sharp way to do it, and I love that. And I love the fact that you're you're checking in with people with no expectation because you're right. A lot of people are. Are not like that, you know, so I'm sure it's really refreshing. And it sounds like you've sustained that habit over a long period of time, which is why you've gotten the results you have with the network you have, you know, so I think that's really cool, man. Uh, the, the other thing, too, you can do is let's see, I kind of lost my thoughts. Maybe I might want to cut this. There was a third point here. You had three. We had keeping contact, no expectation, new job, 
those were that was those were kind of like the three bullet points they had. There's something else I do that I can't think of. It. You can just cut this whole part out, please. <laughs> you can move on. <laughs> Maybe it'll come back. Okay, no problem. We'll cut it out. Okay. So, so yeah. So, thanks for sharing that. That those were great tips of kind of what are good opportunities to keep in touch, and and it just shows the outcome of doing the right thing over a long period of time. So, we're just about up on time. So I guess in light of that, I want to ask you a couple quick questions. We'll do a quick fire down, right? I like to do this every now and then. And, you know, you and I have some some similarities, but at the same time, we're very different as well. So what would you say is the best book you've ever read? Favorite book, I should say. Yeah, I read so many books. You, It's hard to pick a favorite. It's really hard. And a favorite now, like you're a different person and the, the stages of the company is different. So my favorite book right now is Leading with Emotional Courage. Oh, I've never heard of that book. Who's it by? It's by Peter Bregman. So, you know, in the early days, there's just tons of startup books, right? Like, uh, you know, kind of like the lead startup book and, and all these other books. They're, they're great books for business strategy and, and actual business. Well, but once you get to a certain size and, you know, you, you have this is Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like you have revenue, you're default alive, you have product market fit start thinking about more higher level stuff, right? Your employees, your team's mental health, your you know, kind of communications within the team, a more well-functioning team, a more well-oiled, you know, if you think of a really professional sports team, right? They don't even need to talk sometimes. They, they, they just understand each other. They work with each other so well. Uh, that's kind of the team that I, I aspire to have. So those are the types of books now that I'm reading is how to make the team better. But again, you know, if you don't even have product market fit yet, maybe this is not the good best book to, to deal with right now. So I, I can't uh, really recommend it. It has to be contextual. Uh, another good book that I've read many years ago, uh, Founders at Work, which is my, on my bookcase right now. I really enjoy that book. Founders at Work is uh, Jessica Livingston from YC. She interviews each chapter is is a founder. And, and it's not just kind of hurt their companies, but... You know, the founder of BusyCal, the founder of Acrobat, or the founder of Hotmail, founder of Hot or Not. And so there are lots of good stories of uh, tech startup founders if you're into that sort of stuff. For Bootstrap Company, I think uh, the E-Myth book, I, I've read it like three times. I remember the first time I read it, I hadn't had my own company yet, so it didn't really resonate. It didn't, at the time, it didn't apply to me, and I didn't think it was a great book. And then I reread it again, kind of sort of mid-company and I got a lot more out of it and then my third reading I got even more out of it so I also try to reread stuff that I haven't read in a long time I need to read uh, Think and Grow Rich again I read that book probably six years ago and didn't have my own company anything and there's books like that I agree with you like I used to be of the mindset like okay you read it once you're done but there's other books I've read a couple times I read this book called um, you might like it actually called You Squared or the Quantum Leap Strategy. Have you heard of those books? No, no, you squared. So those two books are by Price Pritchett. I think his name is Price Pritchett. And the cool thing about it is those books are only 36 pages long, each of them. But it's on like exponential versus incremental thinking. So, and I, I you know, obviously I, I could tell from meeting you before, but also just this interview, like you're a deep thinker. So I think it'll resonate with you, man. So like myself, I'm a deep thinker. Thank you. Thank you. That's very flattering. Uh, like Jim Collins' books, Good to Great, Built to Last, all that stuff. Uh, I've also reread 
some of those books a couple of times as well. Awesome. Well, good stuff, man. I appreciate having you on the episode and that was great insight. And I love, you know, kind of how you built to where you're at and, and where you're going. And so where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and where can they learn more about Impeccable? Sure. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Try to post some stuff there. Also, I have uh, my own podcast, uh, Design Podcast, because our, our agency is pretty good at design, and uh, we want to build design thought leadership, but it's called What is UX, which I have Ryan link in the notes, what is UX.co, but we interview design leaders from amazing companies. So, example, like YouTube's first designer, Yelp's first designer, designers from Tesla or Lucid Motors, the growth designer at Netflix. So, amazing stories. And there's a slight BIPOC angle. I, I try to get women, minorities, uh, Asians. When I first started my journey of, like, for the longest time, I didn't know any Thai designers. And I thought I was like, I like this weird anomaly. I don't have any, I don't know anyone who looked like me. So I wanted to start a project where I would celebrate. And as I dig deeper and I started asking around, there are, right? You just have to try to look for them. Uh, but I found since then, I've found Thai designers. I've found uh, lots of Filipino designers. I've found Laotian designers. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so and we try to feature women as lots of women as well. So yeah, that's been a little project of, of mine. So anyone, if you want to get a sneak peek of what, you know, the designers do at those companies, uh, especially in those roles, because design is so specialized now, like a growth designer is different than a design system designer or stuff like that, or an automotive designer versus a healthcare designer. Uh, that would be a good thing to, for you to listen to if you're interested into that sort of thing like I am. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I'll, we will definitely put that in the show notes so people could check you out, check out your podcast, check out your company. And, you know, it was great having you on. And I really, really appreciate it, man. And look forward to uh, seeing you more in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, huge honor for me. Thank you. Thanks, brother. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I know that time is one of the most valuable resources, so I truly honor and appreciate you coming along this journey with me. One of the things that I wanna ask you is if you really truly enjoyed this and know someone that this can make an impact on, please share this episode with them. If you're on a journey for financial and lifestyle freedom, it is always exponentially better if we're building a tribe with like-minded people who are on the same journey. In addition, I have an amazing PDF for you that could be career changing in terms of the content. Essentially what it is are the top 10 questions that every big customer is asking behind closed doors that no one is telling you about. I'll put a link for it in the show notes, so check it out. It's my free gift for you for being a part of this launch and being a part of this journey with me, and I hope to see you soon.